Welcome to Plastics Unwrapped. In this podcast series, you'll hear the experts investigating the innovations as well as the challenges the plastics industry faces. It is hosted by Judy Hicks and brought to you by Dow. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the need to reduce CO2 emissions within the plastics industry and beyond, and how Dow is working towards producing circular plastics with the lowest CO2 footprint. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Howard Chase and Erica Sanchez Garrido, joining us from Dow's headquarters in Zurich, and Kai Embrun, sustainable development expert from London. Hello and welcome. Hello, Judy. Hi, and thank you for having me. So, Howard, let's dive straight in. In recent years, plastics waste has been the key issue for the plastics and the packaging industry. Why is the issue of carbon emissions shot up the agenda now? You know, Judy, um, I think um, CO2 carbon emissions has been seriously on the agenda, well, for a quarter of a century now, if not longer. So the understanding that human activities are inducing climate change, global warming, has really been there since uh, in 1990s onwards. I remember working on it at that time. Uh, and, and I think the reason then is clear, and it's even more clear now, that the, the, the scientific predictions um, match what we observe in the world around us. Um, and interestingly, I think we said then, 25 years ago, that um, this decade, 2020 to 2030, would be crucial in terms of the um, the state of the world and the need for a climate change response. So I think that's um, correct. But then clearly what, what's happened, you might call it the Greta effect, is the perhaps the wider public consciousness about CO2 has grown. And I think that's very welcome, but it, it builds on a lot of science, a lot of understanding, really stretching back quite a long way now. So what you're saying is the plastics industry is not just responding to the Greta effect. It's something that they have been working on for the last 25 years. Yeah, I think um, yeah, the, the awareness of the, the CO2 effect, certainly in plastics, in the oil and gas sector, in the refining sector, uh, it's been a uh, which which supplies the raw materials to plastics. It's been uh, well known and well discussed. And another point, perhaps, uh, as a result of that, in Europe, we already have regulation for the last fifteen years, which puts a price on CO two. That's the EU emissions trading scheme, and uh, that's been seen as one of the major policy instruments to respond to um, to CO two emissions and, and work to reduce them. So there's been been a, a policy response and companies like Dow have been part of the emissions trading scheme right through that period. And Howard, just on the same topic, the, the European Commission Green Deal has committed to climate neutrality by 2050. Do you believe that's realistic? You know, I do. Um, and there, there are two or three fundamental reasons for that. One, um, we've already made progress I- in Europe. The um, The target was to reduce... CO2 emissions by 20% relative to 1990, uh, the base year for the Kyoto Treaty, and and that's been done. Your give or take is around 20% reduction, and then looking forward to 40% reduction, probably going to go up to 55% relative to 1990 by 2030. 
I think that's fundamentally achievable. And then looking out beyond that to, to carbon neutrality. Now, an awful lot of things have to be done, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, d- during this conversation. But um, in technical terms, in the end, it can be done. Uh, and then I think the other reason is that, uh, rightly, people expect it. Uh, citizens expect it, consumers expect it, and industry is one of the sources of CO2. It's not the only source. But therefore, I think if we're going to you know, align with what our customers want and need from us, then that's what we're going to do. So it's good to know that it can be done. But let's go back to the present right now. Um, Erica, our biggest CO2 emissions at Dow are coming from plastic production. What kind of commitments do you see that Dow's putting in place to meet the goals that have been set out by the Green Deal? Our vision is to become the leading producer of circular plastics with the lowest CO2 footprint. And, you know, for this, we have set out very clear strategies that by 2030, Dow Europe will be in line with the European ETS CO2 2030 expectations. And also our strategy will drive us to be carbon neutral by 2050 if it's not before. And this strategy is actually part of our new sustainability corporate goals that we call Protect the Climate that we just announced uh, last June. So let's just bring it back to basics for those listeners that don't really know. Can we explain the process around uh, making plastics? Could you do that, Erica? First of all, we uh, take the oil and the gas and we pump it out of the ground and we refine it and we process it. From that oil and gas, we buy, you know, a range of feedstocks. It can be naphtha, ethane, propane, butane, and we feed them into the crackers. What we feed, it depends on the technology of the cracker and also on the prices. I mean, as a rule of thumb, you can say that ethane is most favored in North America and naphtha in Europe. But the basics is the same. We use this fossil fuel gas and uh, we heat it up at extreme temperatures, more than 800 degrees Celsius. And then we inject dilution steam. And from here, the magic happens. These molecules, they break apart and we produce ethylene and propylene, which is like the monomers that we use to produce plastics that we sell. So it sounds like the furnaces is really at the centre of uh, where you can make the most impact um, to reduce our CO2 um, emissions. Is, is that correct? Correct. The furnaces are 85% of the total CO2 emissions that we produce in the cracker. So furnace technology is a key component to lower our CO2 footprint. That process, I mean, if you look at it, it hasn't changed in the past few decades. And modern crackers are very efficient. But keeping the cracker at more than 800 degrees Celsius, it requires a lot of energy and it comes from fossil fuel gas. And also, we don't change that, a lot of CO2 will be produced. So that's the challenge. We have to change that. So early this year, we announced uh, a partnership between Dow and Shell to transform our furnaces and electrify them. This technology can lower our CO2 footprint in the furnaces by 90%. And if we power them with clean energy, we can even achieve 100%. This is groundbreaking. This is amazing. I mean, this is, yeah, what everybody's trying to find. So um, go back to you, Howard, the production process uh, that we've just heard from Erica about um, and the associated CO2 emissions, does that negate all the advantages of plastics packaging right now? Uh, No, in a word, 
I mean, the value of plastics is because they are tremendously good at what they do. And a lot of what you can do with plastics is much more efficient, including CO2, than other alternatives, glass, metals, or whatever, which also need a lot of energy and a lot of CO2 to, to get them there. So the, the, the benefits of plastics are clear. Plastics are extremely valuable. And in fact, you almost certainly can't do a lower carbon economy without plastics. Take, take vehicles, for example, cars. Um, you need to make them lighter uh, in, in order to reduce energy consumption, wherever the energy comes from. And that's about plastics and advanced materials. Can you produce plastics because they're tremendously valuable in a lower carbon way? And that's what Eric has been, been talking about. And the answer is yes, yes, you can. The issue there is that needs a lot of investment. Everything Eric has talked about doesn't come for free, but it needs a lot of investment in new technologies and technologies which still have to be proved at that scale. And that's the big issue, I think, with, with public policy, is how do you pull this investment into the, the scale of changes which are needed to produce lower CO2 materials. And that's the same for steel, it's the same for aluminium, it's the same for, for glass. Uh, you need lower CO2 production processes. Once you've made it, plastics is tremendously efficient and effective. But as you just mentioned there, I mean, obviously there's a lot of investments to be made. There's still quite a journey ahead. Could the Green Deal actually signal in the short to medium term the end of the plastics industry? Well, I think where the Green Deal's really important is it it crystallises where we need to go. So it sets out very clearly where you need to go actually in a number of areas with, with CO2 emissions and climate targets, with circularity, in our case with the regulation of chemicals and so on. Uh, and so it says this is where we as society need to go. Secondly, in Europe, the um, European Commission and the member states are putting a lot of money on the table, as you, you will know, as part of the, uh, the COVID recovery programme. And so another important task is to make sure that some of that finance flows into the, the renewal of industry, rebuilding lower carbon industry, uh, and in particular, the sorts of processes that Erica has talked about. Um, but for the reasons I've said, I, I'm absolutely confident plastics is not under threat. It will actually prove to be absolutely indispensable to delivering what the Green Deal needs to deliver. I wanted to add that the Green Deal is bringing all this innovation. For example, the electrification of crackers is something that is only being looked into a pilot scale. It has never been scaled up. So as we speak right now, we have our R&D working on this and trying to determine what materials will enable this technology at a bigger scale. And I think that's groundbreaking, right? And the Green Deal is enabling this. The other thing that the Green Deal will be key for industry like us is that we will need to really work with governments. You know, for example, for electrification, we will need vast amount of electricity, not only to electrify the industry and become carbon neutral, but also to have electricity in our households, right? So they work together between industry and government within the Green Deal is key. And, and if I may, I, I, I sort of very much agree with, with Erica there, just sort of thinking or finally on the Green Deal point, the scale of what's needed is huge. So 
We need massive amounts of low-carbon electricity. We need massive investments to renew basic industries which push the CO2 into everything we use. And it can all be done, but I think it's important that society understands that this is not, this is not playing around. This is really serious, and it's a real industrial transformation similar to the, the first industrialization of our, our societies. And uh, there will be a cost to that, but that cost will also be a good investment for the future. And again, I think that's why the Green Deal is so important, because it points in this direction and says, this is what it really takes. So, Kai, in your opinion, or from your perspective, what are the consequences for businesses, industries who fail to take real action right now to, to address their CO2 emissions? Well, uh, regulation will hit businesses that refuse to cut emissions. It's not just a matter of time and place, but the time will come and it will be costly. So planning to cut the mission is most for any business that wants to adapt and successfully. The companies uh, that did this had success. The faster companies act, the most cost-effective it will be. I understand the value of plastic to the economy, but only 10% manufactured plastics recycle it annually. It's uh, 8 million tons end up in oceans. I also see the impact of plastic to the environment and to the economy. Plastic have become the image of what is bad in the planet. Every day we see photos of dolphins dying from plastic ingestions or sea lions with plastic rings and strangling them. So the plastic industry has an image problem too. 94% of respondents to an EU survey on plastic state that industries and retailers should make an effort to reduce plastic packaging. And investment funds and pension funds are revising their policies and decarbonizing their investment. So there is an investment problem starting to emerge. I can see that DAO has a program to address the need to produce plastic that can be recycled to help collect plastic trash and to create loops. This is certainly important, but it probably needs to be accelerated if you want to avert further cost. The most important thing is that we are in a climate emergency. The planet is at risk and cutting carbon emissions is a must if we want to advert the current trends. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we all feel the fact that plastics has a huge image problem at the moment and actually uh, circularity, recycling and and how we're trying to get plastic out of the environment is subject to several of our other episodes. But going back to the CO2 issue, back to you, Kai, if radically redesigning how plastic is made is the key to decarbonisation, where is support and or investment from other partners most needed? Could it be a new ETS system, development banks providing finance raised from carbon taxes? There's a lot of conversation that the UK and the US have plans for a carbon tax. I must make it clear that the support needed is not only finance. We need legislation in place and look at the circular economy. The laws are linear, make, take, use, dispose. So no point talking about circular economy if legislation does not happen. Although I think um, one of the points of the Green Deal, again, is it says this legislation is happening. It's certainly happening in circularity and recycling together with taxation to provide an incentive for 
recycling and I think we'll see the recycling numbers increasing fairly quickly. But it's important that everything's joined together. You, you can say, for instance, that, that steel or chemicals are polluting industries. They certainly emit CO2, but they make very useful things. That was the point earlier. So uh, is the pollution the maker or is the pollution actually the user at the end of the day? Because if you don't use a car or a vehicle, then you won't make the materials for it. So I don't think it helps to divide the problem up like that too much. We need joined up solutions. And, and the biggest area where we need to be joined up is energy. As Erica said from the beginning, if you want to recycle, you need energy. And that energy will have to be clean. And I'm very worried that the policymakers either still don't see or don't want to say the scale of clean energy we're going to need in order to drive a clean modern economy. And it's probably something like um, twice the total amount of energy we make and use at the moment, and it will all have to be clean. And so I think it's there where we need to acknowledge the scale of the issue as well. We can all then look in our individual processes, as Erica said, we can do this, that will make much lower CO2 primary materials, which will mean the downstream materials, the things we use every day will also be much lower CO2, and we can make them much more circular. But you always need energy. For me, legislation is really needed to keep Europe to be competitive because I think in Corona, it was very evident that having industry right next door to you is key to also be able when maybe frontiers are closed again, right? I think uh, that having this local industry at your top of your hand was key for the Europe to be able to overcome, you know, Corona to compare to other countries that probably depend more on imports, right? And so legislation is really needed to protect the European industry manufacturing. For the EU as itself, and I think that's the same in a lot of countries, that the legislation is not made for circularity. You have so much of silos thinking behind legislation. So we need new legislation, smart regulation, that also support circular economy. So um, I hope that within the Green Deal that, that they will find sort of incentives that uh, also mean that we will change the regulation to support circular economy. And to that point, I like the thought of this joined up thinking and we need legislation that actually reflects this. I mean, I know in the EU you have uh, two entirely different departments, climate change and environment. Um, Howard, if a policymaker is listening to this episode... What would you say to them from Dow's perspective? What would be your key message there about the joined-up thinking, joined-up legislation? It's about investment. Uh, and in the end, investors need to believe that their investments will be profitable and successful. And you can do that through a mixture of policies, including um, finance, subsidies, low-interest finance. Europe's moving quite well in that direction as uh, Kai says, you need legislation that rewards circularity and rewards lower CO2 production. And then you need, I think, an industrial policy that, that frankly says, you know, we, we need industry. Industry isn't a problem. Industry is actually what drives our societies and allows us to live the way we do. But we need that to be lower CO2 and more efficient. And I think um, then we head off in, in the right direction. 
Kai makes, I think, some very fair points about the UETS, the emissions trading system. The, the good thing it does is put a price on carbon, and that certainly affects business thinking. Is that high enough? Is it predictable enough uh, to really drive long-term decisions? That's, I think, a very serious um, question. Uh, finally, and we've touched on this a little bit here, we do need a, a joined-up international approach as well. I mean, Europe can point in the right direction, but it can't save the world. And there's no point putting Europe out of business either for this. So you have to stay competitive. And there, I think, the hopefully more encouraging signals from from the US and China clearly understands the severity of the climate change question and is taking it very seriously. So I think that we can be a little bit more optimistic about getting a joined up international approach as well. Uh, because in the end, if if carbon conceptually has the same price in different places, then you don't need protective measures, as Erica said. But all the time, what one area is charging for carbon and others aren't, then we will need to put some sort of carbon protection around Europe. And Erica, I mean, actually on that same point, you mentioned that uh, legislation also needs to protect Europe. But Dow is a global company. Uh, would it not be just easier to buy plastics directly from the USA and avoid all these measures that the EU is advocating? Well, Dow is a global company, but we are truly committed to Europe. And we see the European Green Deal as an opportunity to redesign and make our products uh, greener in a sustainable way. I will actually say personally that I find these times extremely exciting to be in the industry because we're watching this transformation, just like Howard said, uh, right in front of our eyes. And I truly believe that this is another industrial revolution in front of our eyes. And having the opportunity to contribute and influence how the next century in the industry will look like, I think is extremely exciting. Now, from the business point of view, we believe that innovation will drive competitive advantage. And I truly believe that that will lead the way. Kai, going back to you, um, we're talking here a lot about circularity, reducing carbon emissions. I just want your perspective. One of the things that we're looking at is uh, advanced or chemical or feedstock recycling, and it's a game-changing technology for recycling and, and circularity. What's your perspective on the greenhouse gas emissions that's coming from this technology um, as opposed to mechanical recycling? Well, um, go back to the Commission or the European perspective, and you know that there, there was a report coming out that uh, saying that the circular economy can save 600 billion euros and at the same time reduce greenhouse gases with 2 to 4 percent and also have a potential to create about 700,000 new jobs. So it is some values, and we need to have a systematic model, deep and transformative that uh, goes through the material use, design, product development, sales, distribution and recycling. All this um, system thinking is um, something necessary for uh, industry to, to develop their, their strategy, to, to develop also their position in the market. But uh, as we said before, the EU laws are today mostly based on online, also old linear economical system. I think we need that smart system thinking, incentives, simple smart regulation that promotes circular economy. And um, 
I think also that we have to learn from the leaders in the industry that uh, have created new collaboration with other companies that have solutions. And I think we have to go out of the box and, and see what can a collaboration with other type of industry that may be carrying their solution. So that will create an innovative process that maybe uh, will uh, take part in the coming years, uh, what I see. And I mean, I think you, you touched upon it, but you know, are there any ways that you see um, in which CO2 emissions can be reduced in other parts of the value chain? Well, I see the basic is that you really have control over the emissions in the value chain. And then we have measurement tools to, to see where in the change are the critical points. And then we have to design uh, maybe a new type of solution for the process. So I think it's a collaboration and innovation is a part of the development to solve this. So right now, 30 years feels like a long, long way away. Kai, to you again, how do you think businesses keep themselves honest along this journey to carbon neutrality? Well... Global consumption of materials uh, have challenges, uh, both in biomass, fossil fuels, metals and minerals. We know that they're expected to double the next 40 years and annual waste generation is projected to increase 70% by 2050. So it's just a real challenge. And uh, for the plastic industry, you have a lot of uh, discussion around the bromonite flame the retardants uh, in, uh, in the electronic plastic waste. So um, it is a lot of challenges uh, for the year to come. But it's also a lot of opportunities. As I see the potential of energy savings that could be achieved from recycling all global plastic waste is equivalent to 3.5 billion barrels of oil per year. This would have a significant effect on our carbon footprint. Innovation and new business models driving growth in the low carbon economy markets. That's for sure. So uh, the circular economy can save billions of dollars and at the same time reduce emission and create jobs. And Erica, how do you think Dow's going to keep ourselves honest along this journey? Well, I think as an industry overall, but um, so I'm borderline millennial and I personally feel that between customers and social media, they will keep us honest, just like Kat said that. Every day we can see a picture of a well with a plastic bag around themselves. I mean, the transparency that we see now, the fact that anybody in the world with an iPhone can become a journalist or a broadcaster and he can shine a light into these issues is very difficult to hide. It, I would say it's impossible to not be transparent right now. And at the same time, our customers are becoming more and more educated about sustainability and climate change. And to be quite honest, they are the true drivers. And this is why we are here today, because of them. Howard, for you, what are the key challenges to achieving uh, CO2 neutrality? And what are the opportunities as well? Uh, what I hope is, um, uh, amongst other things, actually, that, that perhaps we'll, we'll put more value as well on good engineering, good science, the way in which science and technology can really work to address these challenges. And that, again, uh, the attractions of training, educating in science and technology will, will also become more attractive because, in the end, that's how we're going to solve these problems. Uh, but looking back 30 years and looking ahead 
30 years. Um, I'm quietly optimistic. And if a sense of realism drives international collaboration as well, uh, then I think um, that that would help a great deal. Let me let me also comment to say I agree with Howard about um, this uh, the challenges, but also the opportunities we have. And um, what I think we are in a transition society, and that means also that people are going to move from different types of skills to new skills. And it is a demand of education and training in all industry to meet the low carbon economy. And I think that's something that we need to collaborate around to find incentive to both create new jobs, but also to create competence within the company to make the changes needed. Last word to Erica. What do you think are the key opportunities in this space? Oh, the biggest opportunity, what I see is uh, the chemical industry and Dow, we are a very risk adverse industry, but that will keep us safe. Once we start implementing this new technology that we're going to bring, this risk adversity is actually going to be good because it will keep us safe for any bad technology decision that we probably have seen throughout many years. But it's also very positive because Dow is a big company and we have a huge global footprint and we can achieve technology impact in very different places and we can deploy much faster than maybe a small or medium-sized company. And I'm also very proud to say that Dow is very well known in the East industry that we know how to scale up things. We have demonstrated this over and over and over. And I feel very positive that once the innovation is there, we can scale up these new technologies throughout the world and share that technology with others. The thing is that I I think uh, one of the things that Howard and Kat have said is that I do believe that we cannot do this alone. And so I really cannot wait to start working with other countries, like Howard said, like China and the U.S., because we've been into this, I don't call it journey, I call it a quest, because we know where we want to go. And so I'm very excited to start working with my peers from the other side of the globe to, you know, start shaping that strategy even stronger. On that very optimistic note, Howard, Erica, Kai, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Plastics Unwrapped, creating a circular economy for plastics. The series is hosted by Judy Hicks and presented by Dow. Stay in touch and feel free to share.